0: Take your Bibles again, please, and turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Some big books in the middle of the Old Testament there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Jeremiah 20. The title of the message this morning, as you see it, is Memorials. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a holiday that was established in the late 1800s in the United States, and it was established for the purpose of remembering those who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. These are men and women who have fought for their country, followed their leaders into battle, and given their lives for the sake of preserving the well-being of those for whom they fight. Last Veterans Day, I preached a message from Hebrews 11, and it kind of overflowed into Hebrews 12 through verse 2. In that message, I stressed that the witness of those who have gone before us in the battle for the faith... uh, and have finished their course was very important. That as we look at the lives of those who have gone before us, as we see how they have finished their course, how they have kept the faith, it is an opportunity for us to follow their example. I gave three points in that message, that their witness should convince you their witness should motivate you and their witness should then become our witness. That it should convince us of the reality of the faith. It should motivate us to work in the faith on our own. And then it should become our witness that we are the next generation to have gone before so that the next generation can look to our example and use us for their convincing, use us for their motivation. Now, this lesson applies to all those both who died for the faith and those who live today in lives of steadfast piety. But on Memorial Day, in consistency with the spirit of the holiday, recognizing those who have died fighting for this country, I would like us to focus specifically upon those men and women in the history books, those men and women of years gone by who have been persecuted for the word of God. And as we do so, we're not going to revere the people. They're just men. They're just women. But what we are going to do is revere the God and the faith which compelled these men and women to do what they did. And so as we do so, we need to search our own hearts, we need to search our own lives. As we look at the lives of those who have gone before, who have been persecuted who have suffered for the faith, as we see their example, as we see how they conducted their lives, as we see what they did with the faith that they had been given. We need to question our own willingness, our own yieldedness, our own commitment to the truth. We need to inspect the degree to which we stand for the truth of God in the midst of a dark and wicked world. As we consider these things, you're already there. We're going to do so from Jeremiah 20. Let me give you a little summary of the book up to this point. I never like really jumping into the context of a passage, but sometimes it is necessary. So I'm going to give you some of the context, some of what's been happening in Jeremiah, some of what, hap- what is happening in the world around Jeremiah at the time, so that we can understand where he finds himself in Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah in the 40 years just prior to the Babylonian captivity. From year six twenty seven BC during the reign of King Josiah until the final captivity that would end in five eighty-six BC, Jeremiah proclaimed the word of God. There are many scholars who believe the works and words of Jeremiah are compiled sporadically, that there's no real continuity to the thoughts, that it's just kind of some things here, some things there, compiled over time. There are others, however, who place the book of Jeremiah in chronological order, that the chapters, as we see them in our Bibles today, are the way they are because of the chronology in which they were written. Now, I don't necessarily know one way or the other which one is true. Both sides give compelling arguments, but for the sake of our purposes today, we are going to look at Jeremiah as if it were chronological. I believe personally that that fits in best with what we see as we study the book of Jeremiah and that... Um, it is the clearest way to understand his writings. If this is the case, then it would seem the first 20 chapters of Jeremiah recount the message of the prophet during the reign of Josiah. And it is right at the end of the period of prophecy, right at the end of this time with, under King Josiah in Jeremiah 20, that we will find ourselves today. Now, Josiah's successor was a man, a king named Jehoahaz, He began his reign in 609 BC, 18 years after Jeremiah began prophesying the word of the Lord. Throughout the first 20 chapters of Jeremiah, the prophet has been very busy. In chapters 2 through 6, he gives warnings of judgment against the sins of Judah. He foretells the destruction of Jerusalem in these chapters as well. In chapters 7 through 10, uh, he recounts a temple address Regarding the sins of the day, the various sins that were most pervasive of the day, Jeremiah recounts those sins, he condemns those sins, he declares judgment upon those sins. In chapters 11 through 20, Jeremiah then declares signs and wonders that God has designated to awaken repentance in his people. Now, I told you that chapters 11 through 20 are these wonders. In chapter 11, things begin to get very difficult for the prophet. Up to that point, as he had been preaching in the temple, as he had been telling people of repentance, uh, people had ignored him, people had mocked him. But in chapter 11, things begin to get very difficult for him. In Jeremiah 11:19, the prophet calls to God, telling him that the people desire to kill him for his message. He goes on to lament the prosperity of the wicked, and God reassures him in this chapter that the wicked will be judged and the righteous will be delivered. By the time Jeremiah gets to chapter 15, verse 10, the prophet is beginning to wear down. You can feel the weariness in his writing. He states this in verse 10 of Jeremiah 15, Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury, yet every one of them doth curse me. He is lamenting the reality that he has been born a man that is to bring contention. His purpose, his message, the entire purpose of his ministry, was to tell people of judgment. And therefore, in the eyes of Jeremiah, as he looks at what his calling is, he says, my calling is to become a man of contention. It's to have people hate me. The severity of Jeremiah's troubles become more evident as we continue through the book. In Jeremiah 17, verses 14 through 18, Jeremiah calls for vindication against the many that hate him. He says he's been faithful to the word of God, but he is worn down. In Jeremiah eighteen, Jeremiah visits the house of a potter. Verses one through twelve, he recounts visiting this house, and he gives another prophecy of judgment against Judah. These prophecies are received by the people of Judah with scorn and with anger. And the people respond in this manner. In Jeremiah eighteen eighteen, the scriptures say this: Come. And let us devise devices against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. They sought to destroy Jeremiah. They ignored his message. They scorned him. They persecuted him for the message of God that he had to give. This brings us to Jeremiah's woes in chapter 20. And as we get to chapter 20, we are going to ask two questions this morning. Two questions from the ministry of Jeremiah that will inspect our hearts in regard to our commitment to the faith and the message of God. We talked about discipleship this morning in Sunday School. We're in a series on discipleship in Sunday School now. Discipleship is also coming up in John in our evening series as we look at John 13 14 and 15 everything that recently in our services has been focusing on discipleship and today's message will be no different question number 1 as we look in Jeremiah 20 is this do you stand for the truth of God in the midst of potential persecutions do you stand for the truth of God in the midst of potential persecutions as we step into Jeremiah 20, we are introduced to a man named Pasher. He is the son of a man named Immer. Pashur was not only a priest, but was the chief governor of the house of Jehovah. He was the chief governor in the temple. He was a leader in Israel. He was a leader of religious worship. He was an important man in the city of Jerusalem. When Pasher heard Jeremiah's prophecies against Jerusalem and the temple, verse 2 tells us that he smote Jeremiah and put him in the stocks by the gate of the city where all could see his shame. He was publicly shamed. He was publicly humiliated. He was publicly beaten for giving this message of God in public. Pasher only left him there one night. Following the night that he was in the stocks, that he was in this cage, that he was... Uh, publicly humiliated for his message, he is released. And verse 3 tells us that upon release, Jeremiah has a message for Pasher. Verse 3 says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasher brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then said Jeremiah unto him, The Lord hath not called thy name Pasher, but Megor Misabib. Pasher was a name that literally means, in the Hebrew, freedom or strength. Jeremiah looks at the man, Pasher, and he says, God does not see you as Pasher. He does not call your name Pasher. He calls your name Magor Misaviv, which literally means terror on every side. Verse 4 says, Jeremiah speaking for the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will make thee a terror to thyself and to all thy friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and thine eyes shall behold it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive into Babylon and shall slay them with the sword. Jeremiah says, Your name is no longer freedom. God, when he looks at you, sees your name as terror. Terror on every side. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see your friends and your loved ones taken by the Babylonians. You will see terror on every side. We know that Jeremiah was persecuted for his message, but what I would like us to consider this morning is the reality that the message of God didn't change in the midst of this persecution. The question we asked was this. Do you stand for the truth of God in the midst of potential persecutions? See, though Jeremiah was beaten, though Jeremiah was thrown into the stocks, though Jeremiah was publicly humiliated for what he had to say, the moment he was released from prison, his message didn't change. It was the same. The moment he was released from his public humiliation, what he had to say was the same thing he had been saying. The message proclaimed, after his beating and imprisonment, was the very same message he proclaimed before his beating and imprisonment. Now, perhaps you hear these statements and you say, Pastor, of course. Of course, God isn't going to change his message simply because one of his servants is persecuted or one of his servants is scorned or one of his servants is ignored. Persecution of the messenger isn't going to change the determination of the one who sent the message. That's God. And to that, you would be right. That's that's true. Persecution of the messenger does not at all change the message. So why do so many Christians act like it does? Why do so many Christians believe that the message of God's word needs to be changed when the people become hostile to it? Why do Christians have a tendency to soften their message when there is a fear that the person hearing that message might not like what they hear. Now, I'm not saying that this is something that we overtly try to do. We don't always go out and say, I'm going to change the message to conform to my audience. But, it's a temptation in the heart of man at the very least. See, Jeremiah understood a concept that you and I need to understand as well. That the message of God's word is not yours. It's God's. Therefore, we have no right, nor do we have authority To change God's message or to soften God's message. We have no right or authority to focus only on a part of the message, half of the message, and conveniently leave the other part of the message out because people might not like it. As servants of the living God, it is our privilege as well as our responsibility to get God's message, his whole message, his message unchanged, into the ears of the people that need to hear it. And by the way, that is everyone. Now the implications of Jeremiah's example to the modern church abound. We cannot simply tell people of Jesus Christ's love without telling them of Jesus Christ's holiness. This changes the message. We cannot simply tell people about Jesus Christ's wrath without telling them about Jesus Christ's grace. This changes the message. We cannot tell people about God's sovereignty without telling them about their personal responsibility. This changes the message. message. We cannot redefine or reinterpret the message of God. We cannot redefine or reinterpret what God says about marriage. We cannot redefine or reinterpret what God says about life or about grace or about hell or about the law or about morality or about truth or about anything simply to meet the culture where it is because this changes the message. And see, God has a message and the fact that God has a message means that we need to tell His message. His message has not changed, therefore our message should not change. God's expectations have not changed, therefore our expectations have remained unchanged. So what do we do? We preach the message unchanged. Now we may employ various means, various methods by which to get the message out, but we preach the message, the whole message, the whole Bible, The continuity of God's character, the continuity of God's expectation, of his sovereignty, of his plan for all men. Some will listen, some will not. Some will hate us, some will not. Some will reject us, some will not. Some will attack us, some will ignore us, some will scorn us. But see, the example of Jeremiah, a man that was persecuted for the faith, not the beginning, but one of a long line of those who have been persecuted for the faith on this Memorial Day weekend is this. That just because different people react different ways to the message doesn't mean the message can change. Do you stand for truth in the midst of potential persecutions? Second question this morning. Do you proclaim truth in the midst of discouraging responses? Do you proclaim the truth of God in the midst of discouraging responses? Look at verses 7 through 12 with me. Jeremiah has just been again rejected. We know that he has been beaten, he has been scorned, he has been scourged, he has been thrown into the stocks. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil." because of the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Jeremiah has faced tremendous persecution at this point. And the response of the people to Jeremiah's message has caused him great internal strife. He saw the message. He saw the response of the message and it was troubling to him. Not only because they didn't respond to the message, but because he was in a continual state of persecution and scorn for the message. Notice his response in verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Jeremiah said, God, you have deceived me. You sent me to be a messenger to these people, to bring them to repentance, to reveal the truth of your word, but I am rejected. I am a laughingstock. No one listens. No one cares. You sent me to fight a losing battle. You sent me knowing that this would be what would happen. I'm supposed to be the one that would preach repentance. People are supposed to listen, and people aren't listening. Little did Jeremiah know, as Corinthians tells us clearly, that these things were written as well for our admonition. And that for thousands of years, his message has been a blessing to the hearts of God's people. But he didn't see that. What he saw was derision, scorn, persecution, rejection. He says, I will not make mention of him nor speak his name. Jeremiah had no authority to change the message, so he said, well, if I can't change the message, then I'll just keep my mouth shut. I just won't preach the message. That solves that problem. The message isn't changing. I'm not being scorned. I'm not being rejected. Problem solved. Problem not solved. Look at the end of the second half of that verse, verse 9, Jeremiah 20. But, Jeremiah says, His word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. Jeremiah says, I will no longer speak his name. I will no longer place myself in the fire. I will no longer be the laughingstock of the community. I will no longer be persecuted for his message. And then he stepped out his door. And he looked around him. And he says that he saw the defaming of many. He saw fear on every side. He saw people headed towards destruction and they needed to hear a warning. The warning wasn't popular, but they needed to hear it. The warning wasn't good to hear, but they needed to hear it. The warning wasn't something they wanted, but it is something that they needed. And he says his, God's word was in his bones, in his heart like a burning fire shot up in his bones. It, just, it was flaming inside of him. He had to get it out. He had to speak God's message. He couldn't stop because the message was true and the people needed to hear it. Jeremiah heard defaming. He saw the fear. He saw the adversaries waiting to discredit his message through his silence, and he could do nothing but speak. You and I, in 2013, May 26th, tomorrow being Memorial Day, you step out the doors of this sanctuary into a world with defaming and fear on every side. The truth of God that we hear week in and week out. In this building, the truth of God that we speak back and forth one to another as we speak on various issues before and after the service, as we speak on what's happening in our lives, as we talk about our neighbors, as we talk about politics, as we talk about all of these things, we speak about them through the filter of God's word. And there is so much good found in this building. The message, I mean, there is so much truth to be heard through the lips of the people in this building, you all know so much about the word of God. And we go out into a world that doesn't know. We go out into a world that hasn't heard. We step out of these doors and we step into a world that perhaps they have heard and they don't like what they hear. Step out into a world that hates light and loves darkness. Billions of people in the world right now dying and on their way to hell. Thousands of people right here in Buffalo who are on their way to hell. We can't change the message. We can't take an eraser and erase hell from our Bibles to make it more appealing to them so that they can uh, enjoy wanting to be a Christian and they can want to be a Christian because they don't have to deal with all of that consequences stuff. We can't do that. We can't change the truth of God's word. So perhaps you've just determined, I just won't speak it. I don't want the rebukes. I don't want the scorn. I don't want the defamation. So tell you what, I can't change God's message, but I certainly don't have to tell people God's message. Except the message isn't changed, even if we don't speak it. And regardless of whether we speak it or not, the message continues on. Regardless of whether I tell my neighbor that they need salvation, they need salvation. And if I don't speak the message, the only difference is that's one less person telling them they need salvation. That's the only difference. See, because the message persists. There's one less person revealing unto them the truth of God's word. There's one more person standing on the safe side of eternity watching as their friends, their neighbors, their classmates, their co-workers, whoever it might be, head down the path toward hell. The message of God's word can't be changed because of persecution. The message of God's word can't be changed because people are offended by it nor does the message of God's Word diminish, simply because we aren't speaking it. The only difference is that when we don't speak the message, when we don't live the message, when we aren't the light that God has called us to be, we're being a poor steward of the message that we've been given. That's the only difference. As we close this morning, I would like us to take this message with us, Memorial Day is tomorrow. We remember those who have fallen for our country, those who have given their lives so that we might be able to live ours in comfort and relative freedom. But let's remember those who have given of themselves and of their lives for the faith as well. Let's remember those men and women who have died to proclaim a very unpopular message. Let's remember the example of those who have proclaimed at the expense of their lives the truth of God's word. And as we do so, as we close and as we remember, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. We are going to allow scripture to close our service this morning, particularly the testimony of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Please follow along with me. I will read down through verse 10. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined it in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body.